Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Devery Anderson and DBs will ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. Uh, today is April 9th, 2023. I'm here with Devery Anderson of Signature Books. This is our one-year anniversary of the launch of the Mormon News Roundup. We're going to talk about that, the latest Signature Book happenings, and belated reactions from General Conference. How's it going, Devery? It's going well. Hey, Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at mormonnewsroundup.org or colob at more. You can send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. And how can people get in touch with you, uh, Mr. Anderson? I'm uh, just at devry at signaturebooks.com. Wonderful. Now, um, you, you, um, who are you, by the way? <laughs> who are you? Kind of, you're kind of my boss. So this is actually kind of our first meeting, uh, so to speak. But uh, who are you and what is your position at Signature Books? All right. Well, I'm Devery Anderson, and I'm the marketing manager at Signature Books. I've uh, been, been with Signature almost 12 years. I've uh, been doing marketing for about five and a half years now. Now, Tremendous, you do run the um, Signature Book has an official podcast, um, and that's not this podcast, but it is the Signature Books podcast, and you have, I think, 14 episodes of the Signature Books podcast. What is the Signature Books podcast, and um, what's it all about? Well, I think we're up to 19 now. Oh, okay. Uh, it started last year, um, and we, we try to you know highlight our authors as their books come out. We like to have them on to talk about them uh, upon launch. Uh, it hasn't always worked out exactly that way. Uh, it's been kind of a slow process to get it going, but now we're on track and doing two per month. Uh, we like to release them uh, on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. And uh, sometimes if we don't have a, a release that month, um, like this month, uh, we don't have one coming, a book coming out. So uh, we'll be doing some other stuff. Uh, it, it, in the episode that will come out next week, we interview three of the staff members, myself included, who have either recently released books or have them coming out. And uh, in our cases, none of our three books are published by Signature, which is kind of a odd but uh, uh there's reasons for that uh outside of signatures wheelhouse on for a couple of us the other one already had a contract with uh, oxford before she started here so we're talking about our uh, forthcoming or recently released books on the next uh, uh podcast so that'll come out on tuesday now who is the intended audience of the signature books podcast well, anyone interested in mormon history mormon studies uh anyone who would be interested in a signature title and we specialize in uh, Utah Mormons in the West. Uh, we do history, biography, autobiography, contemporary issues. We do some fiction and some poetry. So our authors uh, get a chance to talk about their books and on the podcast. And we're hoping that uh, our readers and those who know about Signature will be interested enough to keep tuning in. And we want to see our audience grow. Yeah, I've listened to quite a few episodes. I haven't caught all 19 of them. Let me just ask you one more question about your Signature Books podcast. Why do you think people should listen to it? What, there's a lot of Mormon podcasts out there. There's, there's a dime a dozen. Um, there's Mormon stories. There's Mormon expressions. There's The LDS Church has its own a number of official podcasts. There's Mormon Land on the Salt Lake Tribune. 
Um, there's a lot of YouTube channels. There's TikTok channels. The 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 area, you know, the, the market is pretty saturated. So right. why sh- why should people listen to the Signature Book Podcast? What makes you special, and what makes um, you listenable? Well, for the most part, we focus on what we're doing at Signature. So if you're interested in one of our titles, one that's about to be released or has been just been released, and you want to know a little more about it. Uh, before you purchase it, um, this is a chance for the author and the publisher to discuss those books together. Because typically we will have read it uh, in advance of talking to the author. So both parties on the podcast should be uh, familiar with the title and uh, know what to ask about it and assume what readers would want to hear about it. And it's just really a, an advertisement for a half hour to hour advertisement for our titles. And I know our authors go on other podcasts as well, and that's great. We want to give them all kinds of exposure. But um, uh, our podcast is, just has that focus, really, for the most part, uh, about uh, signature. Yeah, that, you've had a lot of great uh, conversations, and I can't. Uh, I would like to, you know, give a five star re- uh, review to your podcast. And by the way, to our listeners out there, um, if you could leave a five star on the Mormon News Roundup podcast, we'd be very grateful for that as well. And that brings us to our Mormon News Roundup joke of the week. We always have a Mormon joke of the week. Debbie, are you ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so it's kind of a long one here, so you kind of have to stay with me. A Mormon walks into a bar. Just kidding. That's that's it. Um, that's all you okay. get. Okay, that was a <laughs> uh, that was a close one. That was a, okay. That was a, okay. Um, now uh, I have a little slideshow that goes along with this. Let's let's we're going to do a one year review here, uh, Devery, and see um, what has the Mormon News Roundup, what has it accomplished, and uh, what has it not accomplished. And before we get started on this, you used to sponsor Signature Books used to sponsor the Mormon News Report. Um, and that was kind of a similar um, thing to what we're doing. Why did you sponsor them? Why did you stop sponsoring them? Why did they kind of go out of business? Do you know the backstory to that? Well, I just know we started sponsoring them when uh, one of the hosts uh, just brought it to our attention and asked if we would. And we stopped because they stopped. <laughs> yes. That's kind of really why it happened. Okay. Well, we're kind of filling in the shoes. Um, obviously, there's also This Week in Mormons. There's Mormon Land. There's a number of Mormon-themed podcasts. Um, we obviously think with a bias that we are the best. But let's let's look and see what it is that we've done this year, and hopefully we're giving you a bang for your sponsorship. So let's discuss that. We've had 53 episodes. Uh, that's one episode every single week of the entire year. We're on. This is episode 54. We have not missed one single week in that entire time frame, including Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we are very, very uh, steady. Now, our podcast purpose is um, you're joining us for a weekly Mormon News Roundup where we will ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. That's our tagline. This entertaining weekly podcast is designed to be appealing to both faithful members, former members, and never members. We comb the internet every week to bring you the LDS-related news that you just can't find anywhere else. Now, obviously, the church has its own. It has uh, KSL. It has the Deseret News. It has uh, the church news. But you don't always get the 100% complete picture of the world of Mormonism from just following the faithful, so-called faithful church news sources. So we try to find the obscure news articles and maybe the most controversial ones. We like gossip. We like to, I guess we like to get in there with the mud and see what's going on. So that's probably the purpose of this. Uh, uh, that's that's definitely a purpose of it. Now, we run a, uh, Mr. Anderson, we run a signature book ad, at least one in every single episode. And we link to signature books in all of the show notes, show, uh, social media platforms and websites. So um, I'll give you a, a sample ad here that runs with um, 
we're, oh, that, that runs, that we run with it. We have a number of different ads that we do run, but we could um, change all of these ads at the same time. So if you give us an ad or tell us, hey, we want to, we have a new book coming out or we have some activity, we can in mass change every single one of the ads at the exact same time. And they could be updated every single week if you wanted to. But here's an example of one of those ads. I'm just gonna play it for you, it's a minute long. Can you hear that? Yes. A big thank you to our sponsor, Signature Books, for supporting us here at the Mormon News Roundup. Please uh, go over to SignatureBooks.com and check out some of the latest publications that they have. Uh, currently, they have things like Lighthouse, uh, the Gerald and Sandra Tanner story uh, by Ronald V. Huggins, one of the uh, stories about the uh, two most famous critics of Mormonism today. We've also got uh, the story of Dr. Martha Hughes Cannon, a biography, uh, suffragist, senator, and plural wife. Uh, that one is by Constance um, Lieber. And then we've also got uh, a really good one here called DNA Mormon by Je Benjamin E. Park. Uh, so for all of your interest in uh, Mormon studies and research, go over to SignatureBooks.com and support our sponsor. Thank you. Uh, what, are you what were your thoughts there on our um, – that's a sample ad there. Yeah, I like that. I like how you uh... – you know, direct people to the website so they can see everything that we've published and also call out some of the uh, titles, the recent titles. So that's, uh, that's great. That's what we like to hear. Okay. That's all. That's what I was hoping you would say. Now we, um, so this, like I said, we also have a video portion that goes along with our podcast. It's really, we kind of started that halfway through the year. It's taken me a long time to really figure out how to do this uh, video casting stuff. But the learning curve on this is very, very steep for me. So, but I'm getting the hang of it. So here's an example. We, we had some uh, guest hosts on and we'll just put up an article and we'll just talk about it. Salt Lake Temple renovations delayed project to be completed. We'll just talk about what is the implication of that and what are your thoughts on that? Um, typical news, uh, you know, typical news articles. This is exactly what you would get. A couple of co-hosts, um, and that's what you get. We also have a Twitter account. It's on mormonnewsroundup.org, and the actual Twitter handle here is at newsmormon. We link the signature books for that, and here's our metrics for that. Uh, tweet impressions. This is for just the last 30 days. We've had 500 tweet impressions, uh, 65 profile visits. Uh, we tweet about once a week, um, so I didn't, I didn't do the entire year, but if you're doing tweet impressions about 500 a month, I don't know, 6,000 impressions per year, that's a ballpark figure of what we're getting on, on Twitter. We certainly are, I, I don't get into the weeds of uh, get debating people or, or anything like that. This is a news news program that is mostly just what, what are the interesting news articles with some small editorial takes, definitely not getting into big twi Twitter fights with anybody. I, I can't stand that. We also have a YouTube channel, even though that most of our, uh, most of our, most of this podcast is uh, a podcast. It's just audio. We also upload the video. We also upload them onto YouTube just so that people, some, you know, people are on different platforms. They listen to them on a lot of different things. And we upload the audio portion onto YouTube, even though YouTube is just a, um, is mostly just a, uh, a video platform and our metrics there on, uh, Oh, I, I didn't include the metrics. I'll come, I'll come back to that. Uh, I'll come back to our YouTube metrics. Um, I think we we are sitting at maybe 200 subscribers right now on YouTube, which for a podcast that does not have a video portion, I know that doesn't seem like much, but um, when you don't include the video on YouTube, you're not going to get a lot of listeners. So we also have a Patreon site here, which you, we have two Patreons that are kicking in about $55 a month. Um, those people have unlimited, they have access to all of the show notes, the detailed show notes, plus the video portion of the podcast. Um, so uh, we're on platforms, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on CastBox, and then a number of other smaller platforms as well. But the lion share of our podcast is on Apple Podcasts, about 81% comes through Apple Podcasts. 
Now, the gender of folks who um, I was kind of surprised about this, about the gender of the people who listen to this podcast. Forty six percent of the people who listen to this podcast are women. Forty percent are men. And then um, the rest are either not specified or non-binary. But actually, a small a higher percentage of women listen to this podcast than men, which is very surprising to me, mm. considering that I have a face that's uh, made for podcasting. So <laughs> uh, uh, that, that was interesting to me. The age of people who listen to the Mormon News Roundup, um, 28, uh, 8% are about 28 to 34, 12% are 35 to 44, 45% are 45 to 60. So the vast majority of the people who listen to this podcast are in the 45 to 60 year demographic, which is the approximate demographic of your humble host. So that to me makes a lot of sense. I guess we found our people. Um, our geographic location, we're mostly being listened to. 92% of our listeners come from the United States, 2% from the United Kingdom, 2% from Canada. Then we have a couple of other countries, Australia, France, Germany, Switzerland, and then the rest are pretty negligible. So, yeah, this is a United States-centric podcast. Our most popular episode here is actually from John Hamer. We had him on the Community of Christ is having their world conference here um, this month. You know, President Vesey stepping down, that was a big news. And we were lucky to get John Hamer on the program to talk about Community of Christ and President Vesey's transition. And it turned out that even though that uh, episode's only been here for three weeks, that's our most popular episode. So John Hamer is quite a mover and a shaker. I think on his YouTube channel, some of his videos have had like three million views. He's actually, he's a huge mm -hmm. figure. We're very lucky to have him. Our second most popular episode was with, we had Radio Free Mormon on the program. He's uh, definitely a linchpin in the Mormon podcasting community. And then uh, another surprise to me is we had Chino Blanco, who does a lot of Reddit. He's a huge time, big time Redditor who does a lot of Mormon and FLDS and LDS news on Reddit. We had him on the program and he has a giant following as well. It's really amazing to me, some of the guests that we've had on, how they really drive the program. People want to see these guests that we've had. And also we had uh, Greg from Quick Media on the program. He runs a YouTube channel that has 30,000 followers. Having a Mormon channel with 30,000 followers, that makes him either the second or third biggest uh, uh, Mormon-related YouTube channel on the Internet. Mm. We've had him on the program two times. So, yeah, we've had some um, good guests on the program. Um, so for Anna, and if you have any questions, by all means, just jump in at any time, by the way. Now, okay. um, Devery, uh, our Apple podcast, well, I actually just released, uh, totaled it up from this last year. We've had 40,000 plays for the Mormon News Roundup in the last year. Um, you, the engaged listeners is basically kind of like Apple's version of subscribers. You have maybe four or 500 subscribers um, and engaged listeners. Those are people who frequently interact with the podcast. So about 40,000 over the course of the last year. Um, our biggest month was last November. We had a huge spike in November, and I don't know the exact reason why. I can't, I, I can't figure out why it is that we had so many people in uh, November. That's, that's kind of a mystery to me. Our biggest cities for listening in the United States, our, our biggest city, the surprising, is Seattle, followed by New York City, followed by Salt Lake City. I, I couldn't believe that we had so many listeners in Seattle. I'm not sure exactly what uh, the deal is with that. Only 61% of our listeners are subscribers, and only 39% are not subscribers. So I wish we could get more subscribers. I guess everybody does. Now, these are uh, some of the demo, uh, metrics of our latest episodes. For instance, our last episode, which discussed uh, how Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith versus Moby Dick <laughs> is a kind of a funny um, episode. Our average consumption of listening on our podcast, when people, you say, okay, we had 40,000 listens just on Apple Podcasts last year. 
what percentage of people who start the podcast actually finish it? Because that's an important metric too. And if you look at average consumption, 95, 95%, 100%, 97%, when people start this podcast, they finish it all the way almost, we have 90% of people who start this podcast finish it, which is really a tremendous number. Um, well, that was very surprising to me as well. So those are some of our uh, metrics from Apple Podcasts. And our rating on Apple Podcasts is 4.3. Now, uh, your rating on your podcast, Devery, is 5.0. So I guess we've got uh, we've got some work to do to catch up to you. But our 4.3 rating on uh, Apple Podcasts, um, we hope to see that improve. We also have a website, themormonnewsroundup.org. And you can see at the bottom, it says sponsored by Signature Books. All of our uh, episodes uh, go onto there. And like I said, all of our social media, all references, signature books and everything that we do. Plus, we have an ad on everything that we do. Now, some of the guest hosts that we've had last year, we've had a, a, a tremendous number of guest hosts. And um, this is a little bit long, but we had Steve Pinecker from the Mormon Book Reviews. We had Christina from Latter-day Ramblings. We had Elder Suicide, who runs a popular YouTube channel. We had John Ogden from Uplift Kids, Greg Madsen from Quick Media, John Turner, you know, did the keynote speak. Uh, he, he, he's a, a famous Mormon author. Um, Devery, yourself, we've had you on two times. We appreciate that. We had Rebecca Biblioteca, who runs the Good Book Club. We have Dave, who runs the Mormon Renegade podcast. We have PD, who did the Priesthood Dispatches. We had RFM, uh, Jim Bennett, who does, did the CS Letter Response. Rick Bennett, who runs the Gospel Tangents program. Ada does the Dissonant Daughters podcast. Morgan does My Spiritual Life on YouTube. Scott from Ramington Ruminations. Ada, oh, I had her on there twice. We have Evan, who has a popular Twitter account. White Cat Prophecy is also a famous uh, Twitter account. We have uh, uh, Sophronia, who wrote The Elegy of Anathema, who's an author. We had Cardin Ellis from The Midnight Mormons, Chino Blanco. This isn't in the even everybody. We had a lot of people on this podcast in this last year, um, just a tremendous number of guests. So, yeah, we're not just sitting around in our basement uh, thinking stuff up. We, you know, we, we had a lot of people on. And what's what's interesting here, Devery, is that, you know, almost as you can see, the the host that we have on is not just somebody from the Ward Release Society. We we try to go after, you know, people who are have a popular following and they post. See, we had 40,000 listens on Apple Podcasts, but that doesn't include when we do an episode. You can see almost everyone that we've had on the show has their own um, podcasting platform, YouTube platform, whatever it is. So they will release the podcast onto their platform, too. Now, I don't know how many listens all of them had on theirs, but I just took Radio Free Mormon, for instance, when he co-hosted and posted his on Mormon Discussions, it has 3,000 views by itself. So I, I think I, I'm kind of spoiling spoiling it, but if you take the 40,000 from Apple Podcasts, you throw on the 10,000 from Spotify and maybe another 10,000 from all of our other platforms, just by ourselves, we're at 60. But if you toss in all of the rest of the fact that most of these people published it on their own platforms. I think that you're where plus people listen to it in their browser. I think we're looking at around 100,000 total uh, views of this podcast. And like I said, when people start the podcast, they typically finish it. So that is our uh, bottom line number is about 100,000 uh, listens of this podcast in the last year. Okay, so our podcasting costs, I just thought I would break this down briefly for you. Uh, web hosting costs us $100 a year. We bought a webcam, we brought a microphone, and then we also use Zencaster. Um, that cost us about 200. So our total cost of this podcast are, what is that? Three, two, uh, four, five, about $500 in costs. And our revenue, your sponsorship, sir, um, you, uh, Signature Books uh, gives us about $10 an episode or about $50 a month. Um, and you paid us uh, eight months so far. Uh, you paid us about $400. Um, you, I assume you're going to pay for the other 200, by the way. I'm, 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 cer <laughs> I'm certain we'll get caught up. Um, uh, Patreon, we've uh, generated about $150 in Patreon dollars, and Anchor Spotify ads is about 50 So our total revenue after expenses 
is about $200. So that breaks down to about $3 an episode. So nobody's getting rich, nobody's getting rich off of this one. Um, now, things I could do to increase the scope of the Mormon News Roundup and the reach of signature books. These are things that I could do. I used to do a Facebook uh, page that was with Mormon News Roundup. It's just I, I didn't have the time to keep it all up. I could do Instagram. I could do TikTok. I could do YouTube shorts. I could do Facebook shorts. But for the roughly $10 an episode, I just I don't have time to do all of those um, items. It's just it's just too much work. I couldn't even keep up with the Facebook. So I just do Twitter only now. Some of the things that I would humbly recommend or request from Signature Books, it would be nice if I had access to either a corporate unlimited Zoom or a StreamYard account. Do you guys have a corporate account for Zoom or StreamYard? Um, I for Zoom, I believe we do. For um, that is, I think Barbara uh, put has done that. Um, it's not for. It's not with our. Uh, it's not with the podcast, though. The podcast is through Zencaster. So is that what you're asking? Because uh, Zoom we use for uh, meetings and stuff, and I think we, we pay extra, so that must be a corporate one. But I don't have anything to do with that. If you had, if I had access to a corporate unlimited Zoom or StreamYard account, that would be very helpful because I paid $200 this year in Zencasting. It'd be nice if Signature Books would let me use their corporate account. Um, based on 100,000 uh, downloads, that's off of $500. Um, I think that we're worth, uh, I, I, I would love to see an increase to $15 on that. I'm not going to use the missionary commitment pattern on you, but that's what I would love to see. Um, I would also love to have access to more signature book authors for podcast episodes on the Mormon News Roundup, um, you know, to have them come over my way because I really have never really had any signature book authors on here. And, you know, we're a small part of your family, very small, but very grateful part of it. We've never really had anybody on. It would be nice um, if we did. And the other one is, would you ever consider letting me do the official Signature Books podcast? Now, you do it twice a month, but uh, I would be willing to do it once a week if you wanted that much access. I could have an author on every single week. Those are just items for you to ponder. I don't need an answer on those, but uh, any thoughts on the, these requests from Signature Books, Devery? Um, I guess my thoughts are need to give it some thought. <laughs> okay. No problem. Now, uh, I will also give you another quick pitch for a second channel for an additional sponsorship. I also run the Mormon Movie Reviews channel, and we're up to, I think, episode 87 of the Mormon Movie Reviews channel. Um, we're getting, uh, we had 3,000 uh, views of this channel just in the last, uh, since it started, we have about 200 subscribers. These are some of the uh, movie reviews that we've done recently. We did Mr. Kruger's Christmas. You remember that with uh, Jimmy oh, Stewart? Yeah. Yeah. We also did Joseph Smith, the man with Leafy Taji, where she shakes the hand of all the kids. That's kind of oh, an obscure yeah. one. I remember seeing that one. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, we also did in, in Emma's Footsteps, which is very interesting. That review was uh, kind of challenging because it was put on by the Joseph Smith and Emma Hell Smith uh, Historical uh, Society. And they copyright striked it right off the bat. But I reached out to the head of the foundation and he removed the copyright strike. So now it is it is uh, living and breathing and copywriting. Um, a couple of other ones as Saints and Soldiers, Uncle Ben, The Spirit of the Game. My intent on this Devery is to review every single Mormon movie that has ever really been um, released. And that could be maybe three or 400 movies total that are worth reviewing. These are typically 10 minute long reviews, although some of them are longer. Um, if Signature Book would possibly be interested in sponsoring that endeavor for $10 an episode, that is another thing for you to think about. Um, this is the last month, 52 hours of watch time on the Mormon movie reviews and about 500 views a month and plus 17 subscribers. So I go, oh, that's 5,000 per year. I know that's small, but I think that is going to grow over time. Um, so some conclusions. First of all, I am extremely grateful for Signature Books support. 
Now, you'll notice that I did not mention Al in this, and this is um, to our, all our listeners and also to you as well. Al just recently informed me that he's looking to step back from weekly co-hosting, and he only wants to do monthly co-hosting. So, um, but never fear. I have no plans to stop this podcast because every no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. Um, any thoughts here? Uh, that, that's my slideshow for you on the Mormon News Roundup. Um, what do you feel like your investment with this podcast is worth it? You know, what is your honest opinion? Is the return on investment? Is it worth it? A hundred thousand views is is that cutting the mustard? What do you think? Yes, I think with the amount of exposure you give us uh, between social media and the podcast itself, uh, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed by all of that. <laughs> well, that's that's I, I have to admit that was what I was hoping you would say. So um, you can think up of uh, those other uh, you can definitely think of those other things that I brought up um, and, um, you know, just just think about those. And, you know, if you can get back to me another time on that. Now, that uh, that does take us to our second segment of this podcast signature book um, that they put out. You put out a newsletter every single month and uh, what is going on with uh, signature books and um, either in those recent past or, or what's happening in the um, for, uh, recent future or, or not recent future, but um, what's happening? What's, what's going on out there? What's upcoming? Yeah. Yeah. Well, upcoming. Yeah. Uh, we've started having events at our offices. We have mm-hmm. uh, an office upstairs, upstairs in our office. We have a library area with a lot of seating room. And we have a podium and stained glass windows, very nice setting. And we decided to start having events here. The goal has been to have them monthly. We're, we're not going to get every month, but uh, we're, we're, I think we'll probably get about 10 in this year. And uh, we had a, a panel discussion in January discussing uh, the DNA Mormon book, which is uh, 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 essays on the legacy of uh, D. Michael Quinn. And we had a panel of uh, peop- some of the people who uh, provided essays for that book that uh, came here. We uh, discussed their essays, and we had a nice uh, turnout and a nice time. Uh, Benchmark Books was here selling books, and we were selling some of our own titles at discounted prices as well. Then in, in uh, February, we had uh, – I'm sorry, uh, in March, we had uh, another group uh, discussing this Dr. Clandestine uh, uh, pamphlet uh, that was uh, uh, an episode from 1977, an anonymous pamphlet that was written uh, as a as a response or a refutation to Gerald Sander Tanner's Mormonism Shadow of Reality, and that uh, was discussed in Leonard Arrington's diaries, uh, in the Tanner's biography that we published, and also in D. Michael Quinn's memoir that we're about to publish, and so we had representatives of each of those titles discuss this kind of strange, uh, fascinating episode from 1977. And we had copies of the pamphlet as well for sale. And uh, uh, later this month, we're having a poetry night. This month is National Poetry Month. And we're uh, celebrating that by having an event at our offices with uh, many of our uh, poets who've published with us over the years. They're going to be here reading from their poetry. And we're kind of highlighting our most recent uh, releases, uh, which is Dana Patterson's book, Oh Lady Speak Again, and Utah's Poet Laureate, Lisa Bickmore, her book, Haste, uh, we've, which we printed in 1994, has just been reprinted uh, in celebration of her becoming the Utah Poet Laureate. So they'll both be here as well as some of our other uh, poets uh, from the past several years who've published with us. So looking forward to that. If you like poetry, uh, if you have questions on, you know, 
usually at a poetry reading, up and coming poets or those who want to be who want to write poetry will have a lot of questions asking poets, you know, their creative process, how they write, what mood they have to be in. And so if, if you're interested in writing poetry, you could probably get some good insights and some good advice. If you like to listen to poetry, you'll hear some um, excellent poetry being read. So uh, come join us on April 26th at Signature Books at 7 p.m. I think you'll like it. Yeah, and for those listeners out there, if you're interested in what's happening with Signature Books, then you can um, subscribe to the newsletter as well. And that comes out every month, right? Yes, we try to get it out the first week of the month now, and uh, we've been doing good with that. We've uh, kept up on it this year. Some of these things are, are pretty new things we started in the last few years, and uh, some of it's taken a while to get uh, going and to be consistent, and we're we're there now with that and the podcast. Uh, those are things we just developed in the last couple of years, and so we're we're happy to be doing that. And we have a YouTube channel as well, so those three things we're trying to keep up on and give people uh, more uh, ways to to reach us or keep up with us what we're doing and and to make these things uh, available a lot of people who read our books aren't available for events in Utah and most of the book signings we have are in Salt Lake or Provo uh, and so if you're not around here the YouTube channel where authors will read from their books or discuss their titles you'll have a chance to uh, participate or at least uh, take part in the next best thing to a book signing through our YouTube channel. So, yeah, absolutely. And that D. Michael Quinn memoir here, um, that's going to be a really that's a, that's a highly anticipated book, isn't it? Yes, and that one you're showing there is not the memoir. I think you'll need to oh. scroll down a little bit. That's a book about him that others. Uh, that's the essays in honor of. Ah, ah, here it is. Quinn. And that one there is the memoir that's coming out this summer. A chosen path, and and it was. He, we only just, they only, his descendants only discovered his memoir on his computer. It was never really presented, right? Just recently. What, 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 what is the history of that briefly? Yes, it was it's something he. I'm not sure when he started writing it, but he updated it off and on uh, throughout the years. And uh, this was the the latest version, and um, it's one I know he wanted to have published, but uh, sadly he passed away before it could be done. And so now, uh, with the family's blessing, we're publishing it. And because he has passed away, you know, we we felt that we had to um, annotate it somewhat. Um, which, had he been alive, it probably wouldn't have turned out that exact same way. But usually, when you publish something posthumously, the publisher or an editor uh, will explain some things. Uh, explain some things in the in in footnotes that we probably would have asked the the writer to do in the editing process maybe add some explanatory stuff in the text itself but we don't want to insert our own uh voice in the memoir so that we will have footnotes now so it'll be annotated um tried to keep you know to what you know retain mike's voice so the text you read will be all his i believe and uh with annotations and so because you know we've had to go through that process of annotating it um, it's taken a little bit longer but it's going to be better as a result and uh, we're looking forward to that coming out uh, I think everyone's been fascinated by Mike Quinn over the years certainly his writings and when you have a, a if you're a fan of a of an author uh, I think very often you like to see what made them tick and so that's what this memoir 
memoir will provide for for those who are fans of Mike's writings. Now, Barbara Jones Brown is the uh, head of Signature Books, the CEO, right? She is the the director of Signature oh. Books, so that's not her title. Uh, uh, the company's owned by uh, George Smith, and uh, so he's the his his title here has always been publisher. Um, but uh, company director is uh, Barbara Jones Brown. And I know she's calling for a lot of works, especially from um, women authors or from uh, underrepresented groups. Is, is that correct? That's who you're really hoping for manuscripts from those type of uh, persons. Is that right? Yes, definitely want more uh, women authors. Uh, you know, we've published a few biographies of prominent Latter-day Saint women this last year. One was on Susie Young Gates and the other was on uh, Martha Hughes Cannon. So we'd love to see more uh, women subjects, uh, whether it be biography or publishing their own writings. You know, we do a lot of documentary history. We do diaries and like to see more women's diaries. Uh, uh, Utah State University has done a great series on women's diaries uh, that I think they're done. I haven't seen one come out for several years, but there are a lot more diaries that could be uh, published. And I'd love to see some great women historians take on books about women or books by women, you know, publishing their, their personal writings. So uh, we would love to see more of that. Uh, definitely. Do, does Signature Books publish fiction or historical uh, Mormon related fiction? Uh, yes, we do. Generally about one uh, fiction title per year. Uh, we did a, uh, one of our most recent, well, Levi Peterson, who published The Backslider with us, published a book of short stories with us uh, last year, or it may have been 2021. And we also, uh, Richard uh, 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 Van Wagner, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Robert Van Wagner, uh, published a, uh, a psychological thriller with us called The Contortionists a couple of years ago. So if you like uh, that type of, of uh, work, um, that was a really good one. Uh, and he did a great job with that. And so I recommend The Contortionist to people, recommend these short book of short stories, and we have more coming. And the same with the poetry. We generally publish a book of poetry every year, and our latest, we did two, because we reprinted uh, Lisa Bickmore's book, Haste. So we have two fresh books of poetry that have just uh, come out, just came out in February. Two, two more questions on signature book stuff. First of all, if someone wants to submit a manuscript for consideration to signature books, what is the process? Well, you'll submit the manuscript um, to, uh, we have a uh, um, an email address to send those to. I'm not the acquisitions person, so offhand I can't remember what the email address is, uh, but it'll say it on our website. Uh, it may be just people at signaturebooks.com. Um, or there might be submissions at signaturebooks.com too. On, on that, I honestly don't remember uh, because I don't do those. Uh, but you, you can send, um, I'm not sure if they ask for a completed manuscript or some sample chapters and a cover letter uh, giving a synopsis. I think you can do that or submit the full manuscript and uh, it'll go through a process here. We have a, an editorial board uh, that'll make recommendations. We screen them initially uh, and then the ones that we think we would be interested in, we then uh, give to the uh, editorial board and then we'll have final approval or rejection uh, at that point. 
One more we're, question. We're always looking for great manuscripts, though. So you bet. Now I want one more question. I have a friend who submitted a manuscript to Signature Books. It was called Elegy of Ananthema. Are you at all familiar with that, or has it not reached your level yet? Um, it hasn't come to me. Okay. All right. And it wouldn't right. come to me until it's ready to be published. I can start marketing it at that point. Okay. So. Ah, you're you're the kingpin then. You're the <laughs> <laughs> you're the final boss, huh? Yeah. Okay. Very well. Now, uh, for those of you out there, if you will please uh, give us a thumbs up, if you will please subscribe, we really appreciate that. Devery, can we go through a couple of Mormon news articles for this week, which of course the Mormon news roundup is all about the news. And I know some of this will just be a hot take on your part because I know that you're a busy man. You had not, haven't necessarily looked at all of these articles, but um, people are interested in what you have to say. So let's, let's hop into the news and, and cover a couple of news articles. So the jury selection here, this was published on KSL here just a couple of days ago on April 3rd, a jury selection underway on the first day of Lori Vallow Daybell trial. So this is, uh, this is just going to be a really, this is going to be an amazing trial to follow because of course she was, she and also her um, husband, um, Chad Daybell, were involved in the uh, grisly killings of, uh, of, of around five people. And we did, uh, back in the Mormon movie reviews, by the way, and also on this uh, podcast, we did full a uh, full review of Sins of Our Mother, the Netflix series, which really chronicled her life. And that was a fascinating look. And we, we covered all of those episodes here on the Mormon News Roundup and also on the Mormon movie reviews. Um, this is going to be a huge trial in the Mormon-related uh, world. Um, the jury selection began last Monday, just a couple of days ago. And the judge, prosecution, and defense team questioned groups of potential jurors throughout the day. And they were left with 17 jurors who have been approved. Uh, so Vallo uh, and Daybell, they've been charged with seven felony uh, seven felonies. She, um, they're accused of murdering their two children, J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan. Vallow, um, she's also accused of conspiring to murder Daybell's late wife, Tammy Daybell. She's pled uh, not guilty. So, you know, Deborah, is this is, is this going to be the biggest Mormon-related trial since Jody Arias? Oh, I'm sure of it. And uh, it's such a bizarre case. And having worked in the book world, not only as in publishing, but also in, in retail, I know that uh, uh, Chad Daybell's books now, I think, are become more collectible because wow. he was an author. And so there's that element that uh, it reminds me a lot of the Elizabeth Smart kidnapping because the uh, the man and woman who kidnapped her, they were both had been workers in the Salt Lake Temple. And that book on the Salt Lake Temple that had photos of of uh, past temple workers had photos of them in the book. And I know that book became more valuable um, as a result of this. So it kind of reminds me of just the bizarreness and how there's the, there's the whole uh, trial, which people are going to be fascinated by. And then in, in the Mormon world, just these other things that, you know, kind of crop up that a lot of people aren't going to even be thinking about, but just what it means for, uh, just the uh, whole tragedy of the whole thing and just how bizarre it is and what it what it even means for the book collecting world. Not that that's important. This is such a tragedy, but it does affect that. And you see that and you see kind of people now wanting to collect this stuff. And so it's that has kind of another bizarre twist to the whole thing. But uh, it's going to it's going to be big and it's and, um, uh, you know, yeah, I'll be following it closely for sure. Yeah, the media, they just love true crime. First of all, true crime is one of the biggest genres that's hot around these days. And when it comes to Mormons and true crime together, when you put those two things together, if you think about murder among the Mormons, which Netflix put out last year, that was like their number three 
Under the Banner of Heaven, that was a true crime as well, even though it was fictionalized still, it was based off of a true story. Um, the Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, which is where uh, Warren Jeffs, he was accused of a felony. That's crime as well. He ended up going to prison. So the, the, the people who are involved with these type of things, the filmmakers and also book writers, everybody, the media is going to have a feeding frenzy over this. Because also the media, they love to portray Mormons as crazy, as de delusional, as, you know, just just nuts. And if you, you know, the media wants to portray, hey, if you believe in Mormonism and in God, look what's going to happen to you. This is a logical conclusion. So everyone is going to be circling the wagons. This is going to be a crazy circus that is just, you know, the trial is starting in Idaho soon. And unfortunately, I can't wait. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat. A any other thoughts on this one, Devery? Well, yeah, I mean, that's so true. You know, people do like true crime and, and Mormon true crime seems to be the craziest of all early and it's portrayed that way. And then we had that recent killing of that family uh, by the father. Now they're all dead. And so there's not going to be a trial there, but that just, you know, all the questions that are swirling about that whole situation, man kills his wife and all of his children and himself and his mother-in-law. And so, um, you know, and, and so many people are talking about what, what did Mormonism itself have to do with this? What was, what was his relationship with Mormonism that led him to do something like this? And that's uh, that's a, a question people are asking. And with them all being dead, there will be a lot of speculation in this case, and it'll go on for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about the murder of the Utah family, which uh, sparked an online battle over Mormonism. This is the uh, David Haight and Enoch back in January. The Enoch. Uh, are you referencing the Michael and Tasha Haight family? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, yeah, and offhand, I couldn't remember their names, but yeah, that's it. And seeing all those caskets there together, that's just uh, sends chills uh, down your spine. Yeah, I mean, it's just this is this is going to be grisly. This is going to be absolutely incredible. And you know, it's it's not just uh, it's not just the um, um, it's not just the David Haight one. We also have the Colorado dentist just a couple of. Uh, uh, just two weeks ago, who was also a Mormon. He was also an elders quorum president. Um, he was charged with poisoning his wife slowly over the course of a couple of weeks. So, you know, the, these Mormon sensational, anything that, you know, is violence and Mormons and extremism and things like this, uh, heinous, complex, these type of things, the media is going to eat it up. This this trial has been building for years. They have they were locked up, I, I want to say, three years ago. So there's just there's going to be an unprecedented level of coverage on this. And um, I, I guess I'm kind of sick and twisted because, honestly, I'm sorry, I can't wait for this trial to begin. I guess there's something wrong with me because I, I'm just like the mainstream media. I can't wait until I, I'm hoping that we get justice served. I guess that's what I'm hoping for here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's just it's natural, I think, to. Uh, to be curious about all this stuff and then to want to follow it because especially when it's in like if it's within mormonism you know it's we're you know part of that and so that's our interest is going to be more you know above what different from what the general publics would be theirs is they're going to have an interest anyway but add the fact that you know we're you know inside the fold to some extent um that adds so much uh interest for us because right away when if there's any any way that the religion itself was involved um we kind of know where, where they're going with it and we kind of know what what questions to ask or what aspects that could have played a role in someone's mind and so it's a lot different than just uh hearing about a case and being cold to the culture around it you know we're not cold to that we're we're well aware of it and so that adds so much intrigue to the whole thing
it'll be very interesting for me to see how, how the church responds to it, because the, this is going to be hitting every single newspaper across the country. This is going to be one of the biggest trials of the year, without question. How will the church respond to it? If you think back to how did the church respond to the Under the Banner of Heaven um, series, which was released on Hulu and FX last year, they only re they only responded to it in one way by releasing a Deseret News editorial, only one bite at the apple. Will the church have any official responses to say, hey, We've um, excommunicated Lori Vallow and Chad Baybill. They're not members of the church. We just want to say that we're going to distance ourselves from this because they didn't do that with Under the Banner of Heaven. Will they have an aggressive response to this? What, what do you think? It's hard to say on that. I mean, sometimes it's, it's I think they know when it's to their benefit to do that and when it's to their benefit to just be silent. I remember when the, there have been so many criticisms of the church over the years publicly, like with the uh, God Makers video or movie that came out in the 80s. They didn't really say much about that. But when uh, these researchers came out with this book that created got a lot of attention about the Spalding manuscript, going back to saying that uh, uh, Solomon Spalding actually wrote the Book of Mormon, uh, the church you know, had several responses to that. And I think the the more bizarre and easily refutable the uh the issue that they're talking about or or that's in the air um the more they can refute it and not create unwanted attention or, or raise more questions than the answer uh then i think they'll often do it and so i think that's the um that'll be the key here does re a response will a response be seen as being just superficial weak and will it will it will it raise more questions than it answers and that's i think they'll think of all that very carefully and it's hard to say where they'll come down on that so yeah it is now our next uh, article here was released on march 31st 2023 this was on axios uh, that was released here new polls suggest that mormon re outreach to other faiths is unreciprocated so there's a poll here that's uh, released and it talks about how religious groups say they feel towards latter-day saints whether they have a positive perception of them or whether they have a negative perception of them. And this is very interesting. The only group who was surveyed here who has an actually a positive perception of Latter-day Saints um, is Catholics. Jews, evangelical Protestants, atheists, agnostics, nothing in particular, all of these have negative perceptions of Latter-day Saints. Only Catholics in particular have a favorable out view, uh, have a favorable view of Mormons. And it also talks about how, you know, the church, in th this article goes through and it, it, it interviews uh, Benjamin Park with regards to this. And it says the church has made a number of overtures over the years, especially to the evangelical community, you know, um, in, in a number of different ways. But evangelicals disapproval of Latter-day Saints is particularly notable because the church has made, you know, so many efforts to forge bonds and highlight similarities um, between Mormonism and evangelical Christianity, both in publications, um, at universities, and by, you know, the church has joined other conservative faith groups in legal battles with evangelicals. I would say that the group that uh, the church, you know, Latter-day Saints want to reach out to evangelicals probably more than any other group on the planet. And what this article shows is that that, um, that outreach it's not being reciprocated. Why do you think that um, people have a negative perception of Mormons? And in particular, why do you think that the evangelical outreach is uh, not being very successful? Well, just my own experience. I know that um, like with, with Catholics, for example, it doesn't surprise me that there's a, um, a better view because I think that relationship, even though, you know, we all 
remember the story about Bruce R. McConkie and Mormon doctrine and and calling the Catholic Church the great and abominable church and the effect that had. Uh, but right away, you know, David O. McKay and others tried to to remedy that as best they could. And we we even you know in the 19th century we had a great relationship to, to well I don't want to say great but a I think a good relationship with Catholics. We uh, supplied a choir. I remember once for uh, for their mass when they didn't have enough people uh, to fill it, and um, they've had a lot of back and forth uh, with Catholics over the years. That I can understand the uh, there that there might be something you know a better relationship with evangelicals because uh, it's been harder to penetrate them that group because i think with just their view on religion they're more dogmatic in their views as far as what's going to send you to heaven what's going to send you to hell and the whole idea of you know outside of the mainstream christianity you know very often you're seen as a cult and so to get around that even in uh trying to partner in just you know, community projects, stuff that where we can work together to make the world better. Uh, it's very hard to get past what they see as doctrinally Mormonism as a cult. And so, and they're more hard line about that than I think any other Christian uh, uh, religion, you know, just the evangelicals. And so um, getting past the doctrinal differences that, you know, scare them about Mormons. I mean, I remember, uh, that God Makers movie made us rounds to the evangelical churches. And so there's always been uh, some animosity and fear and suspicion there that um, is going to be there and no matter what else we try to do uh, together. And I think that just it's going to be that way as long as uh, this kind of black and white thinking on what on heaven, hell, what sends you there, what keeps you, you know, from going there. And I think uh, it's reflected in the views, in the views of each other, uh, or of them towards us, anyway. It could be also, you know, Catholic. The Catholic Church is a very, um, it, it's a very hierarchical structure, which very fits very well with Mormonism. You know, there's, right. there's bishops, there's archbishops, there's a pope. It's uh, you know, priesthood authority. Um, you know, we're the we're the only true the only true church. There's a lot of similarities between Mormons and Catholics, quite frankly, and maybe some of those similarities between evangelicals. They're, they may be superficial and they're just, you know, the church has, has tried to reach out so many times to the evangelical community and they keep trying to rebrand themselves really with the goal of becoming more palatable to Protestants in particular, because I believe that two thirds, two thirds of the converts to the church come are Protestants, two thirds. So that is the demographic that the church really wants to be as appealing to as possible, because that is the people that we're trying to get to join the church. But it's just not being reciprocated and, um, you know, no matter what the efforts are. And it's just it's kind of a mystery as to why you see the occasional uh, stray evangelical, I guess, who will write about the Book of Mormon or there's the uh, evangelical pastor, I think, who has a uh, popular uh, YouTube channel now where he's always discussing Mormonism. No, I'm not talking. And then there's Mormon book reviews, too, where Steve is uh, evangelical and has a fascination with Mormonism. And so we're seeing some stuff like that, but you know, that's just, you know, that's, they're the outliers really uh, when it comes to that. And I'm not saying any of them are, you know, believers in Mormonism, but having a, having a going out of their way to have a friendly relationship uh, 
with Mormons and finding it fascinating enough that it's worth their while to investigate in in a somewhat positive way. Um, like to see more of that, but uh, uh, they're definitely the outliers. So. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like the Chosen series, the Chosen series with Dallas Jenkins, you know, he's had said a number of um, very nice things about Mormons. He seems to be um, very accommodating and he is a very um, well-received uh, person in the Mormon community. But that causes a great deal of consternation and uh, confusion on his side of the aisle. And people don't like that he's so open to Latter-day Saints. Um, they think that that is a betrayal of the Christian heritage. So it just shows how difficult it is to actually build any bridges. Uh, right. Yeah. Now, our next our next article here, let's get some general conference, uh, some brief general conference uh, uh, hot takes from you here, Debbie, and then we're going to wrap things up here. President Nelson in the last general conference, once again, in the last general conference, he announced 18 new temples. And in this general conference, he announced 15 temples. That brings the total amount of temples that are either announced or the ground has been dedicated to 315 temples. Yeah. And it's amazing. I, I when I heard that announcement, I was and I couldn't remember how many there were at the last one. So there were 18, I guess, then uh, back in October. And I can't remember how long it took to get the first 18 temples. I can't remember what number the Washington D.C. one was uh, that came, you know, was built in what 74 around 74. There. And um, and then just in one swoop, all these that almost the same number that it took 140 years to build. But at the same time, you know that then we get those in just one announcement. But at the same time, many of those temples are sitting empty um, and not getting a lot of use, uh, at least much, much of the time. I, I don't know if that's the case all the time. Uh, need to look into that a little bit more. But I'm, I'm sure the thinking on there is that placing the temple within a community will help strengthen that community, reactivate people. There'll be more attention given to the temple. and. And I'm not sure if that's playing out. Uh, it may well be in some cases or in all cases, but I'm sure that's the thinking there, um, that these temples will just uh, create greater interest and that it's kind of an investment that will take a while to pay off. And if they see it that way and they you know, certainly have these discussions and know more about all that than I would as you know, who's not sitting in with them. Um, there's a lot of criticism I know from people who say, why, building so, why are we building so many temples? We could use that money for something else. Um, and you know, there's, I think there's some validity to those, those criticisms too. Um, like we have, you know, some communities now, it's like there are a few temples like Rexburg, Idaho is getting a second one. And, um, you know, when I was a student at Rick's college, we went to, uh, Idaho falls and now, you know, and I thought it was something when Rexburg got one, but now another one in Rexburg itself. And maybe there are enough students that keep the one busy because BYU Idaho has grown a lot. Um, I, I have to assume they know what they're doing. Um, uh, and it would be dumb for me to say, oh no, they need to be doing this and this and this and that, because I'm not in on those conversations where they examine all this stuff probably in great detail. So, uh, I'm thinking that, uh, in time it'll pay off. You know, I think it'll increase activity, increase, uh, membership. And I think that's what the intent is where for now, some of those really are, I think, pretty empty a lot of the time. Yeah, um, you, to answer your question here, to get to the first 15 temples, the Joseph Fielding Smith dedicated the Provo Temple in 1972. So I guess you could say from First Vision, if we give the First Vision at 1820, it took 150 years to get to 15 temples, and now we're getting 15 temples announced in just one conference. 
Yeah, it's something to, uh, and I don't know how long, what, you know, it'll be 315 now. I don't know how long it took us to get 315 chapels uh, throughout the world. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be kind of fun to know how long that part took. And it's interesting, too, you know, when you look at, you know, I, I think at this conference, too, and I don't know if you plan to talk about this. I don't want to get ahead of you, but they announced that we're now over 17 million uh, members. And I don't know how many active members that means. I, I, I know you could probably take all the number of wards and branches, figure out what the average attendance is and all those and times it by the number of uh, wards and branches to get get a figure. I mean, some wards are, are large, some are very, very small. Um, so I don't know what the average, you know, would be, it would take some time to calculate that. And maybe you have, or maybe you have an idea of, uh, what the number of active members are of that 17 million, but I'm sure by now, when I went on my mission and that was in 1979, um, I think we were at about four and a half million members total then, or three and a half, three and a half or four and a half. I can't remember. And I'm sure now we're at the point where at least we have as many active members as we had total membership back in uh, 1979. I've often thought of that, like, you know, had everybody been active, would we have these 300 and some, you know, back then, if, if, if three and a half, four and a half million people were active, uh, how many temples, you know, would we have, would we have had back then? And so I, I often think that what we see now is kind of what we uh, had, you know, in the early 80s uh, um, in total membership. And that's what we're, what the activity, the number of active ones that we see now. So it gives you kind of some thought on what uh, what the church would be like if everybody was active. Would, you know, we would have maybe had 300 some temples years ago, but at the same time, that's very unrealistic. No religion has everybody active. But uh, I think about that because, you know, 17 million on the rolls, um, what does that really mean? Um, I don't know if it means much because doesn't church doesn't mean a lot to at least half of those people. So, yeah, well, it's interesting. If everyone who was uh, active back when you were a missionary, if every single member of the church was active, the church wouldn't have had that many temples for the simple fact of the matter is, is that in the early 70s, the church did not have enough money to build that many temples because we were, you know, the church was in the early 1960s was in a great deal of financial difficulties. It took it took decades until we got out of that uh, really mess that uh, David O. McKay uh, got us into by building too many meeting houses. They tried to extend it out too far. Bad idea. It wasn't until the mid 90s and until uh, N. Eldon Tanner came in, fixed the finances until really President Hinckley really took it by the reins until we got the founding of Enzyme Peak in 1997 with a seven billion dollar investment arm until we got that figured out. So, no, I don't think we would have that many temples, even if everyone was active. That's number one. Number two. Yeah. As far as activity rates are concerned, it's, it's very simple for me to think about activity rates in the following way. If you pay tithing to the church, and I really don't care if it's a full tithing or partial tithing or any tithing whatsoever. If you pay tithing to the church, I really consider you to be an active member. And for the vast majority of people, if you don't, then I don't consider you to be an active member. And we discussed this last week in that the Widows Might Report released an analysis of several countries, uh, Australia, uh, UK, Canada, the Netherlands. Those countries require institutions to discuss and disclose how many tithe payers and the amount of tithing that is received from those tithe payers. So we can extrapolate and say what percentage of people in those countries are full tithe payers. And the total percentage in those particular countries is right at around 25%. I know those are developed countries. It might be a little different in some uh, Latin American countries. It might be less. 
But really, if most of those developed countries are at 25% and most Latin American countries are at 20%, you're looking at, I don't know, about 4 million active members. So that's just a simple way for me to think about it. Oh, okay. But do you think back then if everybody was active and paying tithing, we could have afforded those temples? Um, no, I don't think that we could still, we still would not have been able to afford, it. especially you went on your mission. We weren't out of the financial mess. We were, they, they were talking about, you know, the church used to release its uh, financials all the way up until I believe it was 1959. And then they stopped. And uh, my understanding is from reading also from D. Michael Quinn is that the church in 1960 almost didn't make payroll for church employees. It was that bad. So you're talking about a net valuation of the church in 1960 of zero. Building a temple, see, when you build a temple, the Widow's Might Report also did an analysis of temple construction costs. The average temple in our modern day society costs about $1,100 per square foot to build. And the average temple, especially back in those timeframes, those were very large temples. We'll just right, say that yeah. the average temple at that time frame was around 70,000 square feet because they were larger back then. So you're looking at an average temple cost of around, I don't know, $90 million. And, and that's, that's a general uh, average cost. When you times that by 300, the church just did not have, even with more tithing receipts, would not have been able to build the temples that it had back then based off of the finances, unless the Lord cranked out a miracle. Yeah. And um, and then to maintain them on top of that, too. So yeah, maintain them on top. One last thing about the temples. This is the first time that we had uh, in a while that we had no temples that were announced in Utah. Yeah, I um, noticed that. I thought about that as well. Yeah, and you also talked about temple utilization, Debra. We covered this in an, um, in an article a couple of weeks ago, is that somebody wrote a script, because in a lot of temples, you have to have an appointment to uh, do endowments, to do ceilings, to do initiatories. So somebody wrote a program that went into the church's scheduler, which is online when you schedule your temple appointment, and they culled, C-U-L-L-D-D, they, they culled all of the appointments for every temple across the entire church for a period of time to figure out the utilization rate of the temples across the entire church for a period of time. And it looks like the average utilization of any given temple on any given date is around 20%. So these are not highly utilized buildings if those uh, numbers are accurate. And I see no reason that they're not accurate. Any uh, other thoughts on temples here before we go on to, we just have two more articles to get through and then um, that's about it. No, no, I'm good. Okay, now our next article here, and this is also, this is kind of um, in your neck of the woods here, um, Devery, is because President Nelson, one of his big calls for General Conference was that he was calling for peace. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I know that based off of your background and your uh, book of Emmett Till and your, you know, really, I don't know if I want to call it activism, but your um, experience working with um, certain populations where peace seems to be um, something that's very important. I thought it'd be interesting to get your take on President Nelson's call for peace. And, you know, I didn't hear the talk. And so in the, what was the context? Was it a, was, I know he's talked about racism before and, and just purging ourselves of any thoughts of racist views or discrimination or desire to discriminate, that type of thing. If that's, was that the context yeah. there? Yeah, he's basically taking the next level. You know, he's talked a lot about racism and eliminating that from our lives. And he really took that to the next uh, logical step, which was he was talking about a lot about kindness, about not name calling, especially about not uh, provoking online arguments about, you know, social media, about being kind to other people on social media, about how the world needs more peace and that Latter-day Saints need to be uh, front and center on that. Um, I thought it was a nice message. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's an important one right now because when he talks about social media and how we're very polarized politically, you know, within the church, uh, you know, 
each side can't fathom why the other side thinks the way they do, you know, politically. And so we have a lot of that. And I think there's times that there are, uh, just may come out in priesthood meetings. Someone says something. I remember a priesthood meeting a while back I was in, um, a gentleman in there talked about, uh, uh, I think it was the, uh, something going on. Was it, I don't forget if it was, oh, it was the wildfires in California. And he made a point to say, well, it's because it's, you know, it was democratic California. That's why the Lord sent these fires. And to say something like that in a priesthood meeting, obviously, you know, you're not going to get, you're either going to make people very angry at you or you have to be at a, quite an extreme in your thinking to agree with that. So to the, you know, to those kinds of divisions, I think you see people will pop up and say little, take little jabs and things like that. And it kind of disrupts the whole meeting. Social media, now everybody's connected to everybody. And yeah, it's well known now that there are a lot of fights and arguments and, uh, you know, within families, within friendships, friendships have been, have been lost. Family members are holding grudges because of, of, you know, how we're connected constantly now. And so everybody knows everybody's thoughts about everything. And so that creates a lot of division. And I think to, to, I mean, so it is a different world now that we live in than we did just 20 years ago. And I think it's an important message to, you know, when we talk about a changing world and how to address things, I think that's the perfect talk for something like that to have us reassess and, you know, let go of all this stuff. It takes a lot more effort to just be mean and to be divisive and to be polarizing than it does to find common ground and to work at something good, you know, uh, with everybody. Um, not everybody's politics defines, you know, politics don't really define a person. You know, we have, you know, ideas on child rearing and relationships and all this stuff where we might agree, but politics somehow, if we're, if we're divided there, then it seems to be what's supposed to define us. And, uh, so there are a lot of things we can have common ground on. So just, you know, having us kind of think again and about all this to be kind, to get rid of prejudice, to, um, you know, get rid of all the stuff that divides us, I think is a, is a good message. It's a really good one. Hopefully where this exists within the church, well, you know, people will listen to that, take it seriously, take it to heart and, and do something about it. So hopefully maybe we'll see some little changes uh, emerge as a result of this. I hope so. It also could be a reaction to the fact that he's getting the Mandela Peace Prize coming up. So um, I think there may be some connection to the fact that he's getting the Gandhi Mandela Peace Prize coming up here at Morehouse College, that now he's talking about peace. So, Yeah, that's right. And I think the relationship with the NAACP um, uh, and the, the Reverend uh, Amos Brown, I believe his name is, uh, who's been with the NAACP forever, who was Kamala Harris's pastor in San Francisco, he uh, um, and uh, President Nelson have become good friends. I think he referred to Nelson as his brother from another mother. And so I think that relationship with the NACP trying to, you know, kind of make up for the years that we, you know, weren't treating our black brothers and sisters very well uh, with the policies we had um, to try to make up for that. And I think that relationship there with the NACP has had a, positive effect on him as well and i think he's he's preaching what he's you know experiencing from that relationship too so 
Absolutely. Now, we also, there was a con some little bit of controversy here. Um, we, this is our last hot take on this general conference here. I'm not sure if you caught this talk, but it seems to have gone viral here. Amon Corbett was the, was the first counselor in the Young Men's Presidency. He's now been called as a general authority, 70. But his particular soundbite here seems to have rubbed some people the wrong way. I want to get your hot take on this, Debra. Not sure if you caught this one. I believe it was on, um, I believe it was on Saturday morning session. But um, some people are saying that this particular soundbite seems to be um, that uh, uh, Brother Corbett, now Elder Corbett, seems to be arguing that um, we should place the church before our own children. I want to get your um, thoughts on this. Let me play this for you and see what you think. Parents, if your child struggles with a gospel principle or prophetic teaching, please resist any type of evil speaking or activism toward the church or its leaders. These lesser secular approaches are beneath you and can be lethal to the long-term faithfulness of your child. Parents. Um, what is your um, what is your thoughts here briefly on um, on on his uh, on his thoughts there about uh, the relationship of if your child is having difficulty with the church, what you should do, what your priorities should be? What are your thoughts? Well, and it was hard to really understand what he was really getting at without seeing the whole talk, I suppose. But um, it's kind of a hard one to be able to answer without knowing the rest of that. But I think. Um, if he's saying that uh, you know if if a, if a child is doubting or having some issues, do we not reach out and say, "I understand where you're coming from because you know of of this teaching or that teaching um, it seems like you you don't have to go to maybe you know when he talks about activism and I don't know, did he say activism against or speaking evil of the church and leaders did he because you can still find a place to say, yeah, I understand. I don't agree with what so-and-so said. I don't agree with so-and-so's views on this. Uh, I think the church will get better about how it treats this group or that group without having to resort to what he's saying. I don't think it's an either-or thing. And, and that's just what I'm gathering out of that. I think you can still approach things. One thing I've noticed, you know, in talking to uh, – reading general authority diaries, reading, um, or even in talking in a few cases, general authorities who have been candid with me about certain things, they don't see each other the way they want us to see them. You know, and I think President, I can't remember if it was President Nelson or somebody talked about how, you know, the apostles all have their own individual views and they'll present those views, but in the end they, they're unanimous on stuff. I think, you know, to whatever degree that the brethren argue with each other about things and don't see eye to eye on things, why can't the, why can't the general church membership take that same approach uh, when they need to, when discussing issues that maybe the church has come down on? I mean, like with the, with the policy on uh, same-sex marriage back in 2015, people disagreed with that like crazy. A lot of people left the church over it. And then a few years later, they re reversed it. So are they saying that during that time it was in place, we should have supported it, and now we don't have to? Or were we right to uh, reject it or question it when it was in place? Um, the fact that they did away with it, I think, tells me that we were, we were just fine to disagree with it. 
those who disagreed with uh, the black policy when it was in force, uh, who rejected this idea that blacks were cursed from the pre-existence and this and that, those who disagreed with it when the policy was in place, when you were hearing Bruce R. McConkie and Joseph Fielding Smith and others advocate that blacks were cursed from the pre-existence, would we have been right to teach our children, just don't believe that, this is going to change one day, or should we have gone along with it? Are they saying we should go along with it until they tell us, no, that's just folklore, you don't have to believe it anymore? There's, no, there's not ever a good reason to believe false things, um, just to support them while they're in place. And if your gut and conscience are telling you that something's wrong, I think you can present that to your children, do it in a positive way where they don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you want, if, if it's, church is important to you and you want them to stay in, don't lie to them and don't tell them things are good that are bad. Because um, I think sometimes our, our gut and our conscience, there's enough precedent in the church that I think we know sometimes when things are going to, that certain things will change down the line. I'm confident on a certain, th a few things right now that I think will change in time. So um, teach them to have patience, teach them to endure, uh, teach them to speak their mind, but in a loving way, um, and then hope that 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 will suffice. That's how I see it. I, I'm not going to go along with a policy that I think will change when there's so much precedent for these things. The very things that I always wanted to have changed get changed. No reason to think it's not going to happen in the future. And I think that's how we need to approach it with our children, that we want to stay faithful um, in those circumstances, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. I really appreciate that. Um, um, a couple of last uh, thoughts here. When can um, when can we get, um, I'm going to try to nail you down. When can I get Barbara Jones Brown on this podcast? Oh, I'm sure we could arrange that uh, okay. pretty quickly. All right. I got, I got what I nailed you down on one thing. At least that's good. That's good. Now our, our next uh, uh, with Al, Al is here. Um, he is stepping back here. Um, and he's not going to be um, hosting as often as he once did. So uh, I'm putting out the call to our listeners. If you want to be an occasional um, host of the Mormon News Roundup, then um, drop me a voicemail. You can uh, do so on Anchor or you can send an email to collab at mormonnewsroundup.org. We'd be very grateful for that. Let me just ask you a couple last questions and we'll, um, we'll conclude things to every. Why do you support this podcast? Why does Signature Books support a Mormon News Roundup podcast at all? Well, I think you're doing a good thing. I think uh, for a lot of people, uh, you know, getting this kind of news and, and in a context where it's not just, you're not just hearing about it, you're, it's being discussed and analyzed, uh, I think is a good thing. And I think uh, I, I like to see, I like to see these podcasts uh, be successful. And so if we can contribute in any way, um, want to be able to do that if it helps. And plus it gets the, you know, it gets the word out, uh, about us. And so, so when we can support it, we know that there's a very good chance it'll increase our readership and increase our, our book sales. That's kind of the bottom line and the reason why anybody sponsors something like this to, to get the word out about them. And we want to do it in, on, on a, on a podcast that is going to be, um, that has something to offer. And I think yours is unique enough too. And I like that aspect of it. That's good. Now, the last question I have for you about this podcast, what, what if anything, would you like to see be done differently on the Mormon news roundup? Are, are we hitting a home run every time or is there, um, do we, is there something that we need to improve upon? Or in other words, do you have a vision for this podcast that we are not currently, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think as, you know, as long as you're covering, uh, news items that need to be talked about and should be and that are important enough 
and you're hitting all those, I know it's not easy to get them all. And some weeks, like especially during conference weeks, there's going to be uh, a lot more to talk about. But if, if, if it's drawing people in because they're not just hearing the same thing, uh, it's not like just reading the church news, but you're, you're getting, you're, you're willing to talk about anything that has to do with Mormonism that that's um, important enough to talk about whether it's positive, negative, like with these murder trials coming up and that I think that's uh, important stuff and people are going to want to talk about it. Not everybody um, has time to follow it real closely, like to the extent that, you know, someone who's, you know, just going to watch it every day that the trials and session where you get good summaries and good uh, analysis of that and, and, and where, where the church fits in. Uh, most news coverage is going to just uh, talk about the trial you'll talk about it in the context of Mormonism and that's going to interest a lot of people. And so that's what makes it unique as well. And I think uh, as long as you're hitting all that stuff and uh, doesn't sound like you're afraid to talk about certain subjects that nothing's really off the table. I think that's, what's really important about any, anyone that professes to be news providing news or even news summaries that nothing's off the table. Um, and, and that that'll draw people in. So Okay, well, that does take us to our, we always have a poll of the week here, the Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. And if you can help me with this poll, it's kind of a joke poll, but um, we have a Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. And uh, could you um, read, what is the poll for our uh, of the week here, Debra? Okay, you just want me to read these? Uh, just, yeah, read the question. What is the poll okay. of the week? Okay, uh, what book would you like most like to see signature books published. Okay, so we're giving you a couple selections here. Um, for our listeners out there, you can select one of these five options here if you come on over to Spotify. And uh, Devery, we'd like you to um, read out these uh, these ones and also make your selection as to which one it is that you would like to see signature books published. Is it number one? Diary of Fanny Alger, Building Faith in the Barn. Yeah, that would be now that would be a hot, hot diary if you could get it. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't as long think as it includes it. 1834 to 1836. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the critical time frame. We don't want to hear about what she did in 1850s. Yeah, I don't want to hear about her life with uh, Mr. <laughs> Cutler, whatever his name was. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be a hot item. Or how about number two? Book of Mormon History, The Incredible Life and Times of the Chemish. Yeah, remember in the Book of Omni, he's only in one verse. That's going to be... That's gonna be... <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> that would be a that one. That would be a tough book to write, by the way, but um, that would be one heck of a book to read. Or how about number three? <laughs> the Book of Zelf, another testament of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. So this is independently published here, uh, Devery. The Book oh, of wow. Zelf, another testament of the Book of Mormon. Uh, and this is fascinating. It was a gruesome crime scene. His beloved father was beheaded, and the prime suspect is his best friend Nephi. Will justice be served? Will he avenge the murder of his father? And it goes into Zelf and um, his life and times, because of course he died by an arrow, and he was the buddy of Onondagas. So this is a fascinating look. You know, it's, could signature books pick that up? I'm not sure. Uh, what about number four? Uh, Swole for the sword. Swole. Swole for the Lord. Uh, how you too can get jacked, just like Nephi in the Arnold Freiburg paintings. <laughs> yeah. Now that's, that's great. Yeah. I uh, I always want to see his before pictures. You know, <laughs> I've got a lot of work to do to get to that level. I can tell you that right now. Or um, how about number five? The last 116 pages of the Book of Mormon. I think Mark Hoffman was working on those. Uh, yeah, he was. Once upon a time. But uh, yeah. 
yeah, so uh, which one of those books, uh, Devery, if you were to, um, which one of those would you most like to see Signature Books publish? Well, I think I think the Diary of Fanny Alger is the one I'd want, even over the 116 pages of the Book of Mormon. Wow, you really like the gossip, don't you? Yeah, I want to get to the bottom of that Fanny Alger story. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, our next uh, our our, our ne- uh, next week, we're going to have Jonathan Streeter on from ThoughtsAndThingsAndStuff.com. He has a very popular uh, YouTube channel that discusses uh, Mormonism and another uh, a bunch of other fascinating uh, subjects. We're going to have him on next week. We're greatly looking forward to that. And um, you know, also shout out to Weird Alma for this episode's music. We really appreciate him and uh, Debbie Anderson. Thanks so much for coming on uh, the Mormon News Roundup to ruminate with me on the Great and Spacious Beehive. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Okay, and remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing so long. That's right. Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for for supporting us on patreon.com.